you people hear noise in the background. It's it's my Mac. I'm ready for my new Mac to come in. I upgraded and suddenly the fans have spun up. I feel like I can blow dry my hair on my laptop. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show. The phone number, if you want to be on the show, 877-973-7425. Joining me out of the gate. Rarely do we do this. It must be an important person. I have a guest. He's a guest you all know. Now I know him. James Golden, you all know. Bo Snurdly. Joining me by phone. James, how are you? Eric, I am great. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. Gosh, I'm so glad. I am honored you would do it. Uh, it it's, I mean, for those who don't know, it, James and I, we, we, we send texts regularly. Hadn't seen you in a while. It's just good to hear your voice. It is so good to hear your voice too, Eric. And uh, what's wrong with your MacBook Pro over there, buddy? I, I upgraded to Monterey, and the, the fans have just spun up on me. I did it last night. I probably shouldn't have, but, you know, I've got the new laptop coming in. I, I, I ordered it as quick as I could. Your, your former boss and I, God rest him, we used to race each other to buy these things, and I got mine while I was in the middle of the show on commercial break. So you got the 16-inch MacBook Pro, did you? Uh-huh. I did. Yeah, Fully well, loaded. tell me how it works. I may have to follow your lead and go pick one up, because guess what? <laughs> I have graded my MacBook Pro, and my fans mm-hmm. have been going out of control ever since. <laughs> of course, of course. Yes. <laughs> it, 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 it's it's the demand to get the new one. Of course. Now that we're not here to talk about Max, though, so you, you've got a book coming out, and I, yes. I want people to have an opportunity to buy it. So I've set up a, a link on Amazon for for listeners. If you text my name Eric to three three seven seven seven, you will get an Amazon link to James's new book about his time with Rush, called Rush on the Radio. So tell me about the book. Eric, um, first of all, it, it was difficult in that it, this is also so life-changingly raw. You know, yeah. it's been less than a year, and, and it, 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 it's amazing to me. Some days I still wake up expecting to go to work at uh, the Southern Command and see Rush and and the rest of it. But what I wanted to do was do a book that kind of gave people a, the kind of an inside look at what it was like working with Rush for the decades that I worked with Rush. Some of the people that we worked with on the EIB staff, some of our guest hosts, including you, <laughs> and <laughs> what it was like being on the inside. Because I think it's important that we, the people that love Rush Limbaugh, that absolutely loved and adored this man, define his legacy. He was such an important figure in not just the American political scene, but in the American cultural scene and the American philanthropist scene. Rush was such a charitable giver and he did so many good works. He and his wife, Catherine mm-hmm. have made life better for so many people, regardless of political ideology, because of their work with various charities. And just as a friend, as a human being, Eric, Rush was just a great guy and a very private man, um, worked a lot and his and loved doing the show. In fact, one of the things that I, I mentioned is that, you know, Eric, if I had gotten the same kind of diagnosis that he got, I, I don't think that I would have continued working. His bucket list, though, was his show every day. Every day that he could, every single day that he could be with his audience, that's what he did. And it was it took a tremendous toll on him. After the show, some days he was so tired, but you couldn't tell 
during the show. His energy was just amazing. And he was just, you know, Rush was larger than life. He really was, because that's who he was as a person. I was always struck after his diagnosis. You know, he, he and Christy, my wife, have a very similar strain of lung cancer, and he would regularly check in on her. Uh, I'm worried about him and not wanting to bother him. And he's randomly sending me emails, including sending me um, in, in just uh, the weeks before the end there, a brand new iPhone for her. Cause he felt like I had fallen down on my job and not gotten her the latest iPhone. And he needed to make sure she had one. <laughs> just, now, see, I, I, just, I was just always rushed, amazed. Though. Isn't that just, that's just, that's, that's, that's what I mean. And you know what? So many people around this country have stories, not just about how rush impacted them, um, but there's so many stories about his generosity to, mm-hmm. to individuals that he never wanted known that, that are surfacing. Right. I didn't have the room, of course, to put all of those in the book, but I mean, it's, I think that's why it's important for all of us who knew rush and who love rush to actually be very vocal about defining his legacy and not left the left defined for history who rush Limbaugh was. Amen to that. So how did you become the call screener behind the scenes for Rush? I was rotated on the show. First, I met Rush the first day he was in New York. When he was coming into the ABC building at uh, 1330 Avenue of the Americas, he was coming in with Ed McLaughlin, who I knew. Now, it wasn't until um, months, months later that I was rotated on the show. That was the arrangement that Rush had with WABC that they would provide the call screener and the engineer. Um, and, you know, once on the show, we just clicked. And mm-hmm. and that was just, we just clicked. Our backgrounds are similar. We both loved radio from early on. Um, Rush started working professionally much younger than I did. I got my first job in, in radio when I was in my young 20s, but I had been hanging around radio stations since I was 14 years old. Um, and we both loved this medium. So we clicked. And... I started screening the calls and later on started doing some other things with the program. And once on, like so many other of Rush's employees, once on, you just never wanted to leave. Mm-hmm. You know, Rush had the, so many people on our staff. We have what maybe for the size of the show, a small staff, mostly under, it, it was an organization of under 50 people. But let me tell you something. Everybody could have written this book that worked for us because we all loved Rush. We all wanted to do, we all wanted to please him. We all wanted to, because he embodied excellence. He was about excellence. He hired you. He left you alone to do your job, you know, and you, and, and he expected you to do it expertly. And we all wanted to live up to his expectations. And we all loved him as a human being. And so you have employees of his that came on and have been there like me for decades. People never left because they just wanted to be there. He mm-hmm. was an amazing boss. He was an amazing human being. You know, I, I, I got to tell you, you were one of the very few times Rush ever got mad at me. Was It was your fault. <laughs> oh, uh, so, you know, I, I had invited you a couple of years ago to, to the, the uh, gathering we did in Atlanta. And then I mentioned to Rush that I had invited you. And, and hey, Rush, by the way, if you want to come, one of the very few times the man ever called me on the phone, because you know how much he hated that. And he was upset that I had invited you before inviting him. 
And I said, well, oh, you're, 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 you're Rush Limbaugh. There, there, there's no way that, that I, 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 you would be too busy. You wouldn't want to come. I, I couldn't cover your costs to come. Uh, I would love to have you, but just assume you'd be too busy. And he's like, oh, okay, I get that. And yeah, I, I, I can't come, but you should ask me too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that just, is just too funny. It, it just one of, one of, there. I can count on on one hand the number of times the man ever called me. One of which he found out I was in the in the hospital with those blood clots several years ago, and and was one of the yeah, very few know. people to call the hospital. He just the generosity of that guy. And you're right, the I'm stories coming out from random people who were impacted by just the, his kindnesses over the years is amazing. So, what was it like for you to host this radio program? You know, I, I tell people all the time, the very first time y'all brought me up to the studio in New York and, and you're yeah. in there and I, I'm looking at you. I said something on the radio and realized you're looking right at me and you're yelling and your hands are flailing. And I go in and it, it was uh, while Kit Carson was still there. And I said, what have I done? And he said, oh, no, that's just just James talking to a caller. I thought I'd made you all mad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I was like, I'm never ball. doing this again, am I? We. <laughs> <laughs> We had such a, and it, we had a lot of fun, isn't that, you know, and that was, that was the part that was infectious. Yes. We talked about issues and we're really serious about the politics. We're really, really serious about wanting America to be the greatest nation that it can be and having everything available for her people that should be available because that's our birthright as Americans to access the American dream. And yeah, we believe all that, but we also had a lot of fun. And we and we'd like to have fun with each other, and I'm just so happy that you were part of our family, Eric. Because I I enjoyed it, and it, you know I wouldn't be doing this job at all except when when WSB in Atlanta offered me that job, and I mentioned it to him, and and he told me he'd never speak to me again if I didn't. I'd be crazy not to, and and he was right. I, I would I, if I could do radio. Everybody in radio, it seems like, wants to do something else. I just want to do radio every day and and keep people company where they are and, and entertain and wouldn't be doing it but for him and see isn't that just who he is to always encouraging always mm -hmm. wanting you to experience what he had which is to be able to live your dreams and that's right. what i mean he was very encouraging of everybody if you had a dream he wanted you to explore it and he he would talk about this often and doesn't this so go beyond politics you were talking about the fact that if you found the thing that you were passionate about, that thing, that you should pursue it at all means. And for him, that thing was radio. But whatever mm -hmm. thing that is, pursue it. And don't worry about the money. Pursue right. it for its own sake. And the rest that's supposed to happen to you will come. Absolutely. For those of you just tuning in, I'm talking to Boast Nerdly, James Golden. He's got a book out on his time with Rush and Rush's generosity. You can text the word Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. I'll send you a link back so you can order the book. Now, James, before you get off here, I, I would be remiss in not talking to you about the current political landscape. We've got the Virginia election today, and there is more and more and more data that particularly young black men are inclined to vote Republican for the first time in several generations. And I, I know you've got insight on that. Would love to get your opinions on it. Well, you know, here's the thing. People tend to forget this. Trump, Donald Trump, had a very different profile among young black men than any other rep uh, Republican politician. And why is that? 
Well, if you go back and you look at the culture, especially the culture surrounding the music, the rap culture, he used to get mentioned before he was even in politics in so many songs because they saw him as the epitome of success. And that was part of that whole culture. So they're more open to it. If you look overall, and I did not realize this until very recently, Donald Trump got 30% of the youth vote in the last cycle. 30%. Now add to all of that. What are we seeing in Virginia? We're seeing this, we're seeing finally a backlash to some of this hardcore extremist, anti-American, racial uh, CRT business that's been going on. And we see Terry McAuliffe completely blindsided by it, not knowing how to respond. He responds by bringing Obama in, who demonizes the parents. Joe Biden demonizes the parents. Uh, he, and so he's been left kind of flat-footed in all of this. Long story short, there is an awakening that is occurring. We are only beginning to see it, in my view. This is going to continue to grow if we have the right candidates who can talk about it with their constituents. I wouldn't be at all surprised if we win Virginia tonight. Mm -hmm. I think we will. I also wouldn't be surprised if there's an upset in the New Jersey gubernatorial race. That's within four points. Mm -hmm. So I hope that happens as well. I hope so. I, I think we're trending in the right direction. Well, look, I, I, I could talk to you all day and, and we're on the clock here. You know how this works. And I you know, just, I hope you sell a ton of books and I'm always happy to fire my call screener. If, if you ever want to go back to call screening. <laughs> well, Eric, thank you so much. And thank you again, my friend, for having me on. I appreciate it. And God bless you and your family, Eric. Thank you, you too. Oh, and look, we didn't even talk cooking, James, and we hadn't even gotten to that. <laughs> Which, one of these days, we will. Okay, thanks, One Eric. of these days. Take care, James. James Golden, Bo Snerdly. Uh if, if you want the book, text the word Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to 33777. It, it's a great one about his time with Rush and, and all the, the great things Rush did. And I, I say that at the end flippantly. When I would fill in for Rush, Snerdly would give me, while I'm in mid-monologue, unmitigated hell for the things that I'm cooking and putting on Instagram. <laughs> a vegetarian, no less. Uh, I, I would be sure before I came into the show to put up pictures on Instagram of all the stuff I was roasting and grilling. Uh, but then he would give me unmitigated hell in the middle of, of talking about something completely unrelated. I would hear this voice chime in about the stuff that I was, I was uh, cooking. He's a great guy in, in and of his own right. Uh, James Golden is a fantastic human being and was blessed for 30 years to work with Rush Limbaugh. Text the word Eric to 33777. When we come back, it is election day, and Democrats are really, really nervous about Virginia. Y'all, in 12 hours, the way things are going, America may just be racist again because the Democrats will have lost. All right. <clears throat> have you guys seen this? Uh, welcome back. It is Eric Harrison here. I will take your phone calls. I will answer your questions on the elections, whatever. Uh, the phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Just, you know, the other day, the Lincoln Project guys got a, a diverse group of people, including a, a black guy, a woman, and an Asian to pretend they were white supremacists. 
They showed up at a Glenn Youngkin event with tiki torches, claimed they worked for him and were his supporters. It turns out, obviously, they were Democratic operatives. Last night at at the closeout Youngkin rally in Loudoun County, Virginia, someone wearing a jean jacket with a freshly brand spanking new Confederate flag sewn onto the back of it, a, a, a little patch, large patch, actually, happened to stand right in front of the reporters, like goes to the back of the room and stands right in front of the reporters so they can all see the brand new Confederate flag newly shown. Now, how do I know it was a brand new Confederate flag patch? Well, because the jean jacket was all beat up and dirty and this Confederate flag was spotless. Perfectly flat, no wrinkles, nothing. And just happened to be placed on this. Guy was wearing a big cowboy hat, which tells you everything about how they view uh, racists and rednecks. Big old, freshly, brand new cowboy hat. And the reporters, all the reporters, particularly the NBC News reporters, made sure to take pictures of it and put it on social media and did not ask a single question of the person wearing it. Not a single question. Now, ask yourself. If they happen to even suspect the person was really a Confederate, a racist, don't you think they would want to get this person on the record? Because you know what they're doing? They're showing up at rallies and they're asking retirees, tell me, what is critical race theory, you racist? And they're getting the old people on camera who don't really even understand what critical race theory is. But somehow, this person is literally the very first person in front of the row of press photographers, and they can't bother to ask this person questions. This is part of the problem here is the press has gotten so broken and so partisan, nobody takes them seriously anymore. They've destroyed their own credibility. On CNN yesterday, they were lamenting the Let's Go Brandon phenomenon. And and, uh, Jim Scudo at CNN, who used to work for Obama, by the way, it's like the, 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 the kids, what are you doing teaching the kids Let's Go Brandon? This is the same network that had on a girl who had flipped off, given the bird to anti mask protesters at her school, and they were heralding her, lionizing her, giving her a hagiography on CNN, treating her as a patron saint of the middle finger, and what awesomeness it was, her bravery to do it, and yet they're worried about Let's Go Brandon. All right, the details of Virginia and New Jersey when we come back. Tonight at 7 o'clock, before the World Series, we don't want to do it during the World Series, uh, I'm going to do a live stream on you, uh, not YouTube, Instagram and Facebook. Uh, E.W. Erickson on Facebook, E.W. Erickson. You should be following me on Instagram anyway at E.W. Erickson. I'm going to do a live stream uh, to review. The polls close at 7, and so we will do a kind of dive into what's happening, what we know at the end of the day, review of the late-breaking exit polling and stuff. Let me give you the overview here of what we can expect. There is uh, New Jersey governor's race is closer than Democrats wanted. It's still expected to be a Democratic hold there. What is interesting is the Virginia race. And again, I know we've got listeners all over the country and and most of my listeners are still in Georgia and they're like, why why are you spending so much time on Virginia? Virginia is very important because Virginia tends to be the harbinger of the midterms. 
For the last 30 plus years, the party in control of the White House has lost the Virginia governor's mansion the following year of the presidential race. Uh, the exception being Terry McAuliffe in 2013. And the only reason McAuliffe won the 2013 gubernatorial race in Virginia was because the Democrats funded a help fund, a third party challenger who ran a big libertarian uh, campaign against Ken Cuccinelli. Ken Cuccinelli, the uh, attorney general of Virginia, good friend of mine, was painted as vilified as a, a social conservative who was going to bring theocracy to Virginia. And McAuliffe was able to win only by about a point or so. The Virginia Democrats otherwise didn't do very well there. Now this year, they are looking like they could lose tonight, the Virginia Democrats, their House delegates lead, and lose the governor's mansion in Virginia. Ralph Northam won Virginia four years ago with a nine-point lead. Joe Biden won it last year with a 10-point lead. The state has shifted dramatically to the left. Even if Terry McAuliffe wins tonight, and frankly, the odds remain in his favor because early voting in Virginia has been going on since September. And but there's rain going through Virginia that tends to turn that tends to turn off the voters who are not enthusiastic. The voters who are not enthusiastic are Democratic voters in Virginia. Republicans are highly enthusiastic in Virginia. If McAuliffe narrowly wins or loses, it's bad for Democrats, and the worse. McAuliffe does, the better it is for Republicans next year. Why? Precisely because Virginia has become a blue state. So if in a blue state where the Democrats control everything, the Democrats lose, it's a pretty big red flag for the Democrats that next year is going to be doom and gloom and despair for them. Virginia, how goes Virginia tends to be how go the midterms. You knew, for example, in 2009, the Republicans swept through Virginia. Bob McDonald won the governor's race. The Virginia Republicans surged into the uh, House of Delegates and the Senate in Virginia. And it was a big red flag to the Democrats as they were going through the Obamacare debate that something bad was going to happen. And then Scott Brown, of course, in the Ted Kennedy special election in, in Massachusetts wins. And the Democrats actually convinced themselves into 2010, we've got to pass Obamacare and that'll mitigate the damage. Actually, Obamacare made it even worse. They misinterpreted the polling. Some of them, of course, thought, you know what? We might as well do this. We're going to lose anyway. And it was actually the outgoing retiring Democrats who cast the deciding votes for Obamacare. And then that wiped out the Democrats for a decade. Now you've got reconciliation, you have inflation, you have all of these problems. And the Democrats are saying, we must do something, we must do something. And I'm not sure that they must or should do anything, but they're going to feel compelled. And they're already, the blame game has already started, y'all. Progressives are saying the reason Terry McAuliffe is in the position he's in is because the moderates in Washington failed to pass reconciliation. The moderates in Washington, including the former governor of Virginia, Mark Warner, is saying the reason Terry McAuliffe is in the position he's in is because the Democrats failed to pass infrastructure. The progressives held it up. That had they passed the infrastructure plan, McAuliffe would be doing well. Now, this is all everybody setting expectations. It's kind of funny. A buddy of mine noted, and I'm in this camp. I fully admit it. 
He says, it's funny to watch Democrats say, yeah, Youngkin's going to win by one. And Republicans say, yeah, McCall's going to win by one. I'm in this camp. I, I want to believe that Youngkin wins. In fact, if I'm honest and open, I think Youngkin wins. But I'm telling myself there's no way he can do it. So I, I, I don't get, because remember, voting's been going on for a month in Virginia, and it is a blue state. It is not a swing state now. My buddy Gary texts me all the time. He, he's helping with the candidate up there. He says, no, no, it really is a swing state. All right. I'm willing to believe. I think if I had to call it, if I'm honest, if I tell you what I really believe and not manage my expectations, if I just go hog wild here, it's Yunkin wins. The Republican attorney general wins. The Republicans have a great night and pick back up the House of Delegates. That's what the polling says. And that's not the public polling. You know, I had on Wes Anderson yesterday, who is a pollster, who's a very good pollster, who was trying to explain the difference between the public polling and the private polling. I know what the private polling is. I am an influential member of the media, and I do have friends involved. And I know what the polling shows that you guys aren't seeing. And it's too good for me to believe. I am friends with one of the prominent pollsters polling in Virginia. What I find intriguing about his polling is that he's polling a worst case scenario for the GOP. He's actually polling using a model that's more heavily Democrat than he should use. And his polling has Glenn Youngkin winning by more than a point. And he's a really good pollster. And I'm trying not to get excited. Because here's the thing. If the Democrats win tonight, we are having gloat party tomorrow. We, we are, I mean, I will be tuning in between innings in the World Series tonight. I will be flipping over to MSNBC to watch them cry so that I can fuel up on their tears. I will absolutely, absolutely do that. I will absolutely enjoy and savor the night. Now, here's what's going to happen if the Republicans win. You know it, and I know it. If Republicans win in Virginia today, by midnight, America will be racist again. America will be racist. You know, Cori Bush, Democrat progressive congresswoman, She's already saying that uh, Joe Manchin's opposition to reconciliation, he had a press conference yesterday, came out and said he, he's opposed to a lot of it. That it's anti-trans, it's anti-black, it's racist for Joe Manchin to be opposed to the Democrats' reconciliation plan. If the Democrats lose Virginia by midnight, America will be racist again. I've said this. It's a little bit repetitious, but for the last year, Democrats have become emotionally invested in the idea that the Republicans are the party of authoritarian tyranny. It is the Republicans who are a threat to democracy. It is the Republicans who are the biggest threat to the Republic. And the Democrats believe, and the media too, the media, the media is in on the game. They've got to do and say whatever they can to stop the GOP. So they have been very, very biased in how they've covered the news.
You know, one of the interesting things here, it now appears the pilot, that Southwest Airlines pilot, turns out he was not saying, let's go, Brandon. As I predicted, as I suspected, the pilot was saying, let's go, Braves. They were flying out of Houston. And the pilot, bravely, I might add, a Southwest Airlines pilot flying out of Houston, Texas, the home of the Astros, happened to trash talk, saying, let's go, Braves. He was brave. If he said, let's go, Brandon, he was correct. If he said, let's go, Braves, he was brave. Turns out the pilot said, let's go, Braves. And the left wants to fire him because a reporter for the Associated Press who's in on the act, she she thought he said, let's go, Brandon, and needed to destroy his life. She tried to storm the cockpit. She admitted it. She tried to open the cockpit and demand an answer from the pilot. He's a Braves fan. That's the answer. The governor of Virginia is named Ralph Northam. Ralph Northam has a picture in his medical school yearbook where he is either in blackface or he's in a Klan outfit complete with a hood. Now, I have heard he's at the Virginia Military Institute. Now that's his alma mater. This is this is his medical school yearbook. I'm looking at the picture. If you go to if you if you text data to 33777, you can subscribe to my daily newsletter. In fact, if you subscribe, my live stream tonight, I'm going to be answering your questions. But if you just text the word data to 33777, you'll get my you'll get my email and you can click that link, uh, the ewerickson.substack.com, the one at the bottom, and you'll see the picture. It's Ralph Northam and someone, they're whole they're at cans of Budweiser. One of them in blackface, one of them's in a clan hood. The rumor in Virginia, just so you know, is, is that this is his girlfriend or wife under the hood, and he's in blackface. Regardless of who it is, one of them is Ralph Northam, either in blackface or dressed as a Klansman. And here's the thing. The left wants to fire a Southwest Airlines pilot for saying, let's go Braves, because they misheard him and thought he said, let's go, Brandon. And they have given a pass to Ralph Northam, the governor of Virginia, for being in blackface or dressed as a Klansman. It's okay. Terry McAuliffe is campaigning with the guy. That might be a connection. Might be a connection to why black voting in Virginia is depressed. You know, Democrats have organized this thing called Souls to Polls. They want to get black voters to the polls in mass. It was a failure this year in Virginia. They were not able to get as many black voters as they suspected. In black neighborhoods this morning in Virginia, turnout is lower than the Democrats want. In early voting in Virginia, turnout is lower than the Democrats want. Perhaps, just perhaps, maybe, possibly, it's because Democrats in Virginia have spent years telling black voters the Republicans were the racists. And yet here comes the lieutenant governor of Virginia and the governor in Virginia, both with instances of inappropriate 
attire and dress and, and behavior towards the black community. The governor himself, possibly in blackface. And if not, he's in a Klan outfit. And the Democrats, they first called for the governor to resign. He refused. Terry McAuliffe called for him to be gone, and he refused. And now Terry McAuliffe is campaigning gladly with Ralph Northam. You, you think maybe black voters might might realize the hypocrisy here? You think maybe black voters in Virginia just might be thinking, wait a second. Y'all are trying to fire a Southwest Airlines pilot for, pilot for saying, let's go Braves. And you're campaigning with a man who is either a Klansman or in blackface. And you want us to think you take our community seriously. But here's what's going to happen. If Ralph, if Glenn Youngkin wins tonight by midnight, the left is going to be declaring Virginia racist again. The country will be racist again. Remember the rules here, folks. Remember the rules. Everything the left hates is racist. Everyone the left hates should be fired. And every behavior the left engages in is bad when people who aren't on the left do it. They can't understand why voters would rather have Republicans come back. They have been epistemically convinced that the GOP is a threat to the Republic, a threat to democracy. And they must be stopped, and they must be stopped in Virginia. And yet the voters, the racist rubes of Virginia, might be returning Republicans to power. And now you want the punchline? According to NPR News, yes, that NPR, their own in-house polling, a plurality of independent voters think it's the Democrats, not the Republicans, who are the biggest threat to democracy. You would think the Democrats would do some self-reflection on this and say, hmm, I wonder why that is. But nope, instead tonight, as the polls close and the results come in and Glenn Youngkin and the Republicans win, the Democrats will realize they've got to double down on screaming racism because their guy lost. It's what they always do. Now, there's something I want you to do. I want you to go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric. You know, we, we got to stand up with companies that aren't woke. We got we to gotta have the back of the companies that are willing to have our back. And Patriot Mobile has your back. They are conservative. They're Christian, explicitly so. They, they make no bones about it. That's where their values are. And they give a portion of their profits to the pro-life cause and the Second Amendment cause and veterans and first responders because they really do believe those things. They have those values, your values. Do business with somebody who has your values. Do business with Patriot Mobile. Don't worry about the coverage. You can go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric. You can see the coverage. You get free activation with my name. You get discounts if you're a veteran, if you're a first responder, got a large family, you're an NRA member, they'll give you a discount. You can call them, 972-PATRIOT. 100% U.S.-based customer service, 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. Tell them Eric sent you. Or go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric today. Sign up with them. Do business with a company that shares your values. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan anywhere in the nation. They can help you if you are in charge of the finances of business and you want to grow that business. You need access to big loans, six figures and up. FirstLibertyGA.com. Spend 10 minutes with them. See if they're a good fit for you, you for them, firstlibertyga.com. All righty, let's see here. Uh, I'm going to go to first today. Bob on the phone, you're going to be up first. Welcome. Hello, Eric. How are you? Great. How are you? Fine. Uh, Eric, a couple of days ago, you mentioned that Zuckerberg had spent about $500 million in the presidential election around various um, precincts in the country. 
And I'm concerned today that we don't know what social media is doing. A couple of years ago, I had listened to a program with a psychologist who was a Democrat, and he said his analysis was that in the 2016 election, social media had swung about five to eight million votes to the Democrats. And he felt that they were perfecting their uh, algorithms enough that by the presidential election of 2020, it would be 15 to 18 million votes. So I'm concerned that we don't know what's going on with social media today in Virginia. Well, I, I, honest to goodness, truly believe that the concerns about social media are overstated. Uh, you know, the Democrats used to brag about uh, having a monopoly on social media, being able to turn out people. And then 2016 happened. And this is why they hate Facebook, by the way. The left vilifies Facebook because they think that Donald Trump and the Russians were able to get people to, to go. Here, here's what we know. The uh, Twitter is vastly overstated with, with people on the left, and Facebook is actually more evenly balanced left and right in the number of users. But by and large, it's still not as uh, connected, and people form their groups of friends. So people on the right are interacting with people on the right. People on the left are interacting with people on, on the left. Uh, independents, the moderate voices out there, they're not actually affected as much by social media. Social media fires up the bases. It doesn't actually persuade a lot of people. It's overstated. Now, why you hear that social media is so dominant and influential is because a lot of people don't understand it, and they mythologize it. They overstate its power because they don't understand it, and because they don't understand it, it's spooky to them. But by and large, all of the actual external data and surveys show social media fires up each other's bases, it does very little to persuade undecided people to go vote. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution. If you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business, First Liberty, building and loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty, building and loan and my friends, the Frost family come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no, it's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan, say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com.